As we continue this uh, sermon series in the, the top ten, the Ten Commandments, we're finding that, that each of these commandments apply to us uh, even in today's world that we live in. But probably this commandment, commandment number four, is probably the one that is probably mistranslated, misappropriated, misunderstood. There's probably confusion um, across the board. And it's been around for a long time. And so as we look at this commandment, there are so many traditions that have been passed down trying to do this commandment. Some good, some noble, some godly, some biblical, some just pure tradition. And so as we look at this commandment today, you might find yourself asking the question, have I bought into some tradition that's unbiblical? Have I bought into some paths and some patterns that have just been passed down to me and and this is just what I do, but I haven't stood back and critically thought with the lens of the Holy Spirit at Scripture and saying, God, what does this mean to me today in 2012 in the world that I live in? How can I best live out this commandment? And even as we wrap this up and get to the end of this, you're, you're going to walk away from here today and, and you'll probably be asking yourself some questions. Have I been living out this commandment in the way that God intended it to be lived out for a New Testament, born again, Christ follower of, of Jesus Christ? Is, is this the way I'm supposed to live it out? The commandment, simple commandment, and we're going to read it here in a few minutes. And it's just to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's one of the commandments probably that there is, like I said, there's a lot of confusion. Does that mean the Sabbath is a day of the week? Does that mean the Sabbath is the day that we worship? Does that mean the Sabbath is a Saturday? Is that Sabbath a Sunday? Does the Sabbath happen to begin on Friday night? But probably all in all, most people place more guilt on themselves as to the way they choose to live out this commandment probably more than any commandment that we're going to look at in this series. There's more misappropriated guilt and judgment placed on other people too based upon the way you perceive this to be lived out in a New Testament way. Some believe the Sabbath is Saturday. Some believe that you could never do anything on the day of worship that involved work. And some would attribute the day of worship Sunday as the Sabbath. Is it? Does the Bible say that that Sunday is necessarily the Sabbath, the day that we gather to worship? Is that what is referred to in Exodus chapter 20? Some would say, yes, it is. And many would say, no, it isn't. And we're going to look and we're going to let you decide with the Holy Spirit after you look through the lens of the scripture what that is. It still has been infiltrated into our thinking today. All of you have been passed down traditions on what you think the Sabbath means and how it's played out and what you should do on the day of worship. Some would say it's the same. Well, let's read this commandment. Grab your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. If you didn't bring a Bible today, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. And if you don't own a Bible, take this Bible home with you. It's a gift from Grace Community Church. If you own one, just leave it on the chair for the next service. But turn to Exodus chapter 20. Second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to read verses 8 through 11. Exodus chapter 20. Stand with me when you find it and we'll read it together. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Let's read this together. Ready? Read. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. Now that's funny. Who's the alien within your gates? Everyone has a different answer for that, depending upon the day of the week. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Have a seat, please. First thing I'd like to do is just just some preliminary observations regarding Sabbath. And then we'll dig in and then we'll give some application and, and we'll give you a chance to discern what the Spirit is saying and what the Word of God says in light of this commandment today. Here are some preliminary observations. It's the longest commandment of the ten. If you just look at length, verses 8 through 11, it has a lot of attachment to it. It has a lot of uh, restrictions added to it. And so it's the longest commandment of the 10. It also is the only commandment that's not repeated in the New Testament. This commandment in this form is not repeated in the New Testament. Every other commandment is repeated in the New Testament. Another preliminary observation, and we'll dig into deeper. Sunday is not necessarily the Sabbath. Sunday, when we gather to worship, is not necessarily the Sabbath. The Sabbath commandment was directed to the Israelites initially. And some would attest, and many would attest, that this commandment still applies in principle and application to the Israelites and a covenant that they had made with God at Mount Sinai. So, Let's keep that in mind. Turn to Exodus, just over a few chapters, Exodus chapter 31. Look what is spoken here regarding the Sabbath. Exodus chapter 31, these are preliminary observations, verses 12 through 17. Look what it says here regarding the Sabbath. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to who? To who? The Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Whoever does, not, whoever does any work on that day must be cut off from his people. For six days, work is to be done. But the seventh day is a Sabbath, a rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to what? Death. The what? Israelites are to observe the Sabbath. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath. Celebrating it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. It shall be a sign between me and who? The Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day he abstained from work and rested. This is a a sign between God and the Israelites. And there are some restrictions there. If you do things on this day, on this Sabbath, 
You can be put to death. You can be cut off. And so a lot of those traditions, we'll unfold it more, but a lot of those traditions of Sabbath things, well, I would never do that on a Sabbath because I think the Sabbath is Sunday. I think that's when we gather to worship. And so you should dare not mow your grass. And so some of us, even this day, we look out our windows and we see that person mowing their grass on Sunday. And it's like, what is wrong with them? And so we make these judgments on them. Like, well, you're not supposed to do that. Is that what it says in the New Testament? Or is that an Old Testament restriction discerned for the Sabbath and not the day of worship? Some of you wouldn't even shop on a Sunday. Some of you have chosen and maybe you've moved a little forward. But I remember, I'm 50 years old, I can remember as a kid, you would not go out to eat at a restaurant on the day of worship because that meant the, the waitress had to work. It's like, I thought, man, that, I remember thinking, that is just stupid as a little kid. Where does that come from? Where does that tradition come from? Where does that, is it a belief? Is it a practice for New Testament born again Christians? Some of us wouldn't even, if we walked by our flower gardens and saw that weed, and if you're an excessive compulsive person, you would want to get that weed, but you would dare not pull that one weed out on the Sunday that you call the Sabbath. Some other preliminary observations. The New Testament has nothing to say as to what we should or shouldn't do on Sunday. It does say in Hebrews 10, 25, do not forget to gather together. Do not neglect the gathering of saints coming together and remind people of the day that is approaching when Jesus returns. There is a, a, a commandment or a, a commitment as Christ follows, you need to come and worship together. But there's no, nothing in the New Testament says this is what you should or shouldn't do on Sunday. The Sabbath as we know it, and we'll see, remembers creation. It's a reminder. Work six days, rest. Work, 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 work. Rest, rest, rest. The Sabbath is a reminder of creation. Sunday that we have celebrates re-creation. We worship, generally speaking, on Sunday because in the New Testament, supposing that's when Christ rose from the grave, and so we come on Sunday to celebrate his resurrection, and so we moved it to Sunday, recreation. Remember what Christ made new. Sabbath, definition-wise, means to rest, recover, ponder, and replenish. Rest, recover, ponder, and replenish. That's what the word Sabbath means. The Sabbath was originally a social force for a nation. Sunday is an individual day given to each Christian to celebrate Christ as he sees fit. Another preliminary observation. You will not die by working on the Sabbath. Just take a look. Have you died because you worked on the Sabbath? So if that's true, I mean, when then the Old Testament says you'll be cut off, means you see, you, got your, you see your neighbor that's a Christ follower, and he is out mowing perfect lines in his lawn, take your shotgun and shoot him. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't. So what does it mean today? The New Testament tells us that Jesus is the eternal Sabbath, and we can find eternal rest in him. The Sabbath 
was governed by rules and regulations. You go back to the Old Testament and you see the Pharisees in the New Testament, they added so many things. And if you saw an oxen along the side of the road and he was stuck, you could not pull him out if it was on the Sabbath. All kinds of restrictions were placed. Most of our Sunday taboo things are based on tradition and not the Bible. So if Sabbath means to recover, replenish, to ponder, and rest, how does that play out? We're going to see that it means different things to different people. And we're going to see that your way of replenishing and your way of recovering would, might be different than my way of replenishing and my way of recovering and pondering. And so as we look at this, we realize that many of these traditions have been passed on. We've just believed them because our grandparents believed it or because our parents told us that. In fact, we now face, we now face the fading tradition of Sunday as a holy or sacred day. Think about this. Our great-grandparents, majority speaking, used to call it the holy Sabbath on Sunday. Our great or our grandparents called it the Sabbath. Our parents called it Sunday. Most of us today call it the weekend. And so we're seeing a fading tradition even of the Holy Sabbath. The problem is this with this commandment. Is that way too many secretly wish that the commandment should say, thou shall not enjoy life on Sunday. So when we do go ahead and enjoy it, we end up feeling guilty. And if we don't feel guilty, we'll place guilt on someone else just feels good. You shouldn't be doing that. And even though they have all the freedom in the world to do so, you're upset because they exercise their freedom. And and so we just love as Christians to throw judgment and guilt on people. No wonder we're so confused about to keep, to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. So what does the Sabbath mean to those who attend Grace Community Church today? God wants us to rest and find a regular pattern of replenishing ourselves spiritually, physically, and emotionally. In fact, there is a divine pattern established that God said, we need Sabbaths. We need to place Sabbaths in our lives daily and weekly. We need to have this. God set it in order. He placed a divine pattern. Look at Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 to 3. Just turn back to Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3. Look what it says here. Genesis 2 verses 1 to 3. says this. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Verse 2. By the seventh day God had what? What's your Bible say? Finish the what? Work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he what? Rested from all his what? And God blessed the seventh day and made it what? Holy. Because on it, he what? Rested from all the what? Work of creating that he had done. So we see this divine pattern established from the beginning. Work six days. Rest, work six days, rest, work six days, rest, 
work six days, rest. Do you think God quit working because he was tired? No. God never slumbers nor sleeps. God never is weary. God carries the weight of the world on his shoulders and never budges an inch. Never does he have a moment and says, this is too much for me. So God established a pattern for us to observe. Work, rest. Work hard, rest hard. Work hard, rest hard. Work hard, rest hard. And so there's this system, this divine order from the beginning. We need to rest. We need to recover. We need to replenish. We need a rhythm in our life today. Otherwise, you will break down spiritually, physically, emotionally, and relationally. It's much like the analogy of a NASCAR race. I'll enjoy watching NASCAR. I like rooting for Jeff Gordon. And so when I watched NASCAR, I love watching cars go around and all through this race, they have intervals or times when their tires are bald or there's a caution or they need gas and they go in for a pit stop. They fuel back up. They change the rubber and they go back out. They don't run one continuous race without having a pit stop, without having a Sabbath. They continue. And some races come down to fuel mileage where some can win and they calculate ahead. I'm going to have this much gas left to finish the race. Many of you don't calculate ahead that there's only a certain amount of gas in our spiritual, in our emotional and physical tanks. And many of us get real close to the finish line, but we run out and we wonder, why am I so short of where I should be? Because we haven't recovered. We haven't Sabbath our lives. The legal requirement of the Sabbath is gone. We no longer live under the law. We need a day of rest. God made us that way. With that being said, we do need a daily and a weekly Sabbath. God knew we couldn't survive by it. He set it in order during the creation. But while no set day of worship is ordered for us, we should set a day to worship together. But what has happened is this. Well, because Sunday has been the primary worship time, many New Testament people have said, well, that's the Sabbath. That's the day of worship. That's the day of rest. But what about people who worship on Saturday night? So are they unbiblical? So when they go out and you're heading to Grace Community Church to worship and you see them out mowing their grass and you see them out going to the beach and you see them, you're thinking, wow, and you look, boy, I wonder what they're doing. And it's like, is, are, they, are they sinning? No, maybe that's their Sabbath. Maybe, they, maybe that's, they've chose to worship God on Saturday evening. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Here's what the Bible does say about worship and the gathering of worship. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. So not to confuse Sabbath and worship, the day of worship. They're two separate things or they could be the same day. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 25. The author of Hebrews says this. Hebrews 10, 25. Let us not give up what? What's it say? Meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. 
King James, I remember memorizing that as a kid. It would say, do not neglect the gathering of the saints. What we're saying and seeing here, we need to have a day of worship. And so when you hear people say, well, I find God in the wilderness. I don't need to gather. Oh, yes, you do. To gather, to encourage others, to lift up, to praise together. There's something about a corporate gathering of believers that God said we must continue to do. So we are supposed to meet together. We can use Sunday to recharge with other believers without making it or placing unlawful restrictions on our activities. Way too many Christ followers, though, have reduced Sunday to a day of inactivity. It's like, I'll say this again. If Sunday is your day of worship, it could also be your day of, for Sabbath. Let's look at it this way. All of us need to find a finish line to our week. We need to find a finish line to our day. And so if we don't have a finish line, then we'll continue to work through that. The Sabbath says, I need to get to the finish line so I can recover, so I can recover, so I can refuel, so I can ponder and reflect. And so our week needs, God set it in order. He worked six days. He said, we need to have a recovery day in our lives. But what you do on that day, there aren't any restrictions that I see for Sunday in the Bible if that's the day that you make as your day of rest, your Sabbath. Everybody refuels differently. Paul knew this was a concern for the churches that he visited. And so he gives them some strong warnings. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Turn to the New Testament regarding Sabbath worship. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Some of these same questions were surfacing during Paul's time. And so as he wrote to the church, the Colossian church, listen to what he says. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Paul wrote him a letter and he looks at the church, the Colossian church, and he said, therefore, do not let anyone, what? Judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a what? Sabbath day. In other words, listen, whenever your Sabbath is, don't let someone judge you. You know why he wrote this? Because they were judging people. You mean you're doing this? Look what it says next. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. I say it this way. When it comes to having a Sabbath, when it comes to having a time or even a Sunday, if that's your Sabbath day, there's two axioms that I try to live by, praying and playing. Not a joyless, legalistic day where everyone frowns and says, praise the Lord, it's a Sabbath. That's, I don't see that in Scripture. It's a time of celebration. It's a time to renew. It's a time to refresh. It's a time to recover. It's a time to go in for a pit stop and and to, to do something different than what you've done the other six days that refuels, that replenishes, that connects you with God. And so find something that does that. Paul also had to remind the Galatian church. Turn to Galatians chapter four. He had to remind them regarding restrictions that they were placing on the Sabbath. Turn to Galatians chapter 4. Look at verses 9 through 11. Paul says this to the Galatian church. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, 
How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles, traditions? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. And then he says this, I fear for you that something I have wasted, that, I ha- that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Paul was saying, are you going back to these traditions, these restrictions that were part of the old covenant and you somehow are placing judgment on people? He says, I fear I have wasted my time on you. You need to be set free and not enslaved to these traditions of the past. So he warned them that observing these days to try to earn their salvation was not biblical, was ungodly. So let me stress for you what I believe the Sabbath is. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's a break from your normal work routine. It's saying work hard for six days. Find a day that you recover, that you replenish, that you are finding a way to, to, to rest. And it might look different for individuals in this room. And it might play out differently for you. For me personally, when I think of a weekly Sabbath, mine generally ends, my, my work week ends Sunday, normally around 8 o'clock if we have small groups. And if it doesn't, it ends a couple hours before that. And so, you know, I would be dead, in fact, if we, we went by the Old Testament. I mean, some, I put a lot of effort in on Sunday mornings. And so mine ends Six o'clock, there's an end to my week. There's an end to the six days of working hard. There's an end where I need to have a a weekly Sabbath and it runs through Monday. And for me, my recovery might look different than your recovery. There are many times my refreshment obviously begins with spending time with God, but I'll I'll go out and mow grass on, on, on my day of recovery. I am refueled and refreshed by just checking out talking to God and just there's many men in this room and ladies that understand that I refresh by going out and doing a trail run often with my wife and people say man you go run on your day off absolutely I get recharged and refueled getting out in creation and so whatever that is it might look different to different people your recovery plan could be different and Paul says don't judge each other in the way that you recover And so what has happened? We place all these traditions upon people. And so this afternoon, you might go out and you might see someone that you worship with today and they're going to be cutting down a tree in their yard. And you're like, I can't believe they're cutting down a tree. It's Sunday. Maybe for them, that's recovery. Maybe for them, it's like, no, it's different than what they did the rest of the week and they find enjoyment in getting neat little piles of wood, splitting them, looking it back and saying, I feel good. If that's you, come to my house, okay? That's the picture. But whatever it is, it can be different for different people. The minute we begin to say, this is what it is and this is what it isn't, we become like the Pharisees and we begin to judge. But let's face it, we do need to recover. That's the principle. And God established this pattern in Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3. And what usually happens is that we haven't added a Sabbath recovery time into our lives. So we end up stressed out living a life on the edge, and our bodies are broken down physically, spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. I personally believe that we should have Sabbaths daily, 
where we have times where we get away and we, we, we spend time in God's word and we talk to him. It's concentrated reading his word. It's praying and meditating. It's spending time with him. And so we recover daily. But I also believe we need a weekly time where we recover. Hebrews chapter 4 says it this way. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verses 9 through 11. It tells us where we find our recovery and our Sabbath. Instead of pointing to a bunch of restrictions, it points to Jesus as the eternal rest that we can find. Old Testament was pointing to Jesus that was coming. He has now come. And so now we find our rest in him. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. The author says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. And the author says this, Let us therefore make every effort. Listen to it. He says, Make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. We find eternal rest in Jesus Christ. The Old Testament and everything that was happening was pointing about this Messiah that was coming. He was coming. Now he has come. And now we find eternal rest in him. And so our Sabbath is going to Jesus. We don't have to earn our salvation. It's grace by faith. And we spend time and find rest, eternal rest in him. You cannot find salvation or eternal rest anywhere outside and only in Jesus. So how do you do that daily? How do you find a daily Sabbath? Time away. Maybe it's in the morning. Maybe it's at lunch. Maybe it's in the evening. Spending where you pause, ponder, reflect. Maybe it's listening to worship music. Maybe it's reading his word. Maybe it's just take a walk through the woods and meditating on scripture that you've memorized. But you need daily times of getting plugged back in spiritually. Daily and weekly. I see this everywhere I go. I see men and women trying to find rest in other things. And they end up coming up short. And so they'll go for something else. Boy, I wish I could go there. If I went there, then I would be rested. And if I went there, then I could recover. And so here's what happens. We plan all these vacations. And what happens is we plan, we plan, we put it all together. We throw the kids and the family in the vehicle. We drive to this place and we try to find rest, eternal rest in this spot or this thing or this resort. And when we come back, we need a vacation from the vacation. It's like, Why didn't I find rest? Because you didn't find it in Jesus. But I will say this. I think it's possible to go to a resort, to go on a vacation. And I think it's possible to go to the most exquisite places in the world and refuel your soul. Like, I think it's possible to go to Myrtle Beach and have Jesus, and man, I would be refueled. I think it's possible to go to Alaska and have Jesus and be refueled. It's whatever you do and you stay connected to Jesus and find eternal rest in him, but enjoy his creation. Regular time with Jesus brings rest to our souls. Watch people who unplug from God. You watch him, it's like, well, tell me about your quiet time. Tell me about your time with Jesus. Tell me about scripture memory. Tell me about time that that you're listening to worship music. Tell me about Sunday morning at Grace Community Church when it's time to worship where you stand there and don't say anything. Are you worshiping God? If there's not a regular pattern of worship, you will end up dry on the vine. We also need to recover in a physiological way. 
in order for you and I to perform to the redemptive potential, but do so in a way that's sustainable and keeps up an optimal performance, we need to have recovery systems in place physically too. What if the only thing that limited how God could use us was talent and skill? What if that was the only thing? The truth is this. That's not the case for many Christians. Not every Christian, but many Christians. So many Christians are at the end of their ropes, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I realize the Bible says that when we are weak, he is strong. I'm not talking about self-sufficient men and women that say they don't need Jesus. I'm referring to the ways many of us have taken ourselves out of the battle because of our health recovery habits. Your physical body needs recovery. It needs to replenish. It needs to have a mechanism and structure in place so that you can operate at your optimal performance for Jesus Christ. Many people will say, well, I have my quiet time down and you're recovering spiritually. That's phenomenal and that's great, but that's just one part of your makeup. You have this other part of you, this physical and emotional side of you that needs to recover too. Many people in this room have maxed out on the output side. Work, 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 and then work, 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 and work, 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 and they haven't put anything in, and they have maxed out on the not putting anything on the input side. And so you have these Christians in this room who literally are just at the edge of burnout and so and have not applied the rest principle that God set in motion in Genesis chapter 2. Let me just say it this way. People who have, who have maxed out and haven't put input in will say things like this. I got to get rid of this stress in my life. If I just get rid of this stress, then I will, do speed. I will be so much better off. If I can just get out of this work environment, if I can just get rid of her or him or that or that neighbor or this or that, if I could just get rid of this stress, I would be so much better. What if I told you today and believed with all of my heart this statement, that stress is good for you? It's good for you. You might say, Jim, how in the world can stress be good for you? Yes, in a message on rest and Sabbath, the last thing you need to do is to get rid of the stress in your life. Well, wait a minute, Jim, if I get rid of the stress, then I won't have feel this way. Listen to me, stress is good for you. In fact, What you need is not to remove the stress, but to build a recovery process into your life. Think about it this way. Here's how it works. Suppose you're gone and you say, I'm going to lift dumbbells and I want to make my bicep bigger. And so you take the dumbbell and you, and you use it and you, you work this muscle and you're working it, working it. You're placing stress on your arm. That's good. It's good to put stress because stress is the catalyst for growth. And so you put pressure on it. But if that's all you do every day, every day, I'm going to go work this bicep. I'm going to work it, work it. And you keep working it for 365 days. Your muscle will break down. Your muscle needs recovery to follow the stress. And so sometimes you work arms, sometimes you work shoulders, sometimes you work quads and legs and back. Many of you understand this better than others. But if you're constantly just working the muscle and not giving it a chance to recover, it'll never grow. 
Your muscle needs recovery time. It needs a Sabbath time. And so does your body. And so stress is the catalyst to make the muscle grow. It's that way with our lives. Stress is the catalyst that causes us to grow. But in order for us to grow spiritually, emotionally, physically, we need to have recovery mechanisms in place. Lack of recovery is what tears you down and causes you to die a slow, emotional, physical, and spiritual life. You and I were created to to be able to handle a lot. But we need to put recovery mechanisms into place for our bodies or else our bodies will shut down and therefore limit us how Christ wants to use us. But we can't only have recovery mechanisms in place too. Some people say, well, I'll just sit and watch TV and I'll just recover, recover, recover. You know what happens if all you do is recover and there's no stress in your life? You know what happens? Your body atrophies, your muscles atrophy. And so they're rendered useless. So you have to work. You have to place stress on your life. And then you need a recovery time. Oh, build it back up so it gets stronger. Stress is a catalyst for growth. So how can we properly recover in a physiological sense? We saw how we can do it spiritually, but how about physiologically? People who are a lot smarter than me have done years and years of study on the body. And they've come back to say this, that an average human being needs seven to eight hours of sleep. You get seven hours, your body rebuilds the proteins in your brain. And eight hours, seven to eight hours is a sweet spot for our bodies. God has fearfully and wonderfully made this. Yet some people would say, well, Jim, I don't need five, seven hours. Like, phew, you sleep seven hours, eight hours every night? Yep, and boy, do I enjoy it. And they're like, they look at you like, you take that much time in your life and sleep? Yeah, and I feel good when I wake up. And it's almost like they want to throw this guilt in. Well, I only sleep five hours. Well, go sleep five hours and I'll get my seven to eight. It's like, like, like it's like it's a, a badge or something they wear. But listen to me. Watch people who sleep for five hours for year after 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 year. Watch their bodies break down. Show me someone who has a pattern that doesn't have recovery system or a Sabbath in place, who works, 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 works. Their bones are breaking down. Their body is breaking down. Their health is breaking down. Spiritually, they're breaking down. God has set a divine pattern in place. Work, recover. Work, recover. So your body needs to rest. You might be able to make it on five hours. And what you've taught your body is this. You taught your body to survive and not to thrive. Show me someone who has a proper spiritual, emotional, physical mechanisms in place and has God as the, 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 the forefront of their life, I will show you a person who has the potential to thrive. Show me someone who doesn't. I will show you someone who is surviving. And it's not impossible to see it. Someone may say, I get five hours of sleep. But let me tell you, dude, you're, you're, your brain's not getting replenished. And boy, can I tell sometimes. It just isn't. It'll catch up to you. No ibuprofen. No Tylenol, no coffee, no Mountain Dew, no five-hour energy drink will ever replace rest. It never will. In fact, 
Psalms tells us that God grants sleep to those that love him. And those that love him are spending time with him. And as a result of spending time with him, we recognize I need to recover and to know God better. And he grants sleep to those he loves. It's a God-given gift to be able to recover. And your body will recover on its own if you choose not to. So you know what your body does? Your body will say, hey, if you're not going to get rest, you're not going to recover, I'm going to give you that nasty headache. And so what happens? It's like, oh, man, you get this nasty headache. Well, where'd that come from? Well, tell me about your recovery mechanism you have in place. Tell me about your nutrition that you're eating. Tell me about your time with God. Tell me about the stress in your life. Tell me. Listen to me. And so know what you do? You pop ibuprofen. You pop Tylenol. And your body is saying, no, nah, I'll give you a headache tomorrow morning too. <laughs> and so your body will stop and say, you need to recover. God has set this motion into place. You know what else your body does if you don't recover properly? Because you're compromising your immune system. You know what happens? Your immune system gets weak. You watch these people say, man, they're always sick. Coughing. <coughs> and they get these viruses. Like you watch someone like these viruses are all floating around. This one person walks in and they walked in the same place and the virus didn't get them somehow. I wonder if that person might have a good recovery system in place and his immunities are built up. Show me a person. This isn't cross blanket. Generally speaking, a person who has a good spiritual, physical health plan in place is much stronger physically because their immune system is at its peak performance and someone who isn't, they're constantly sick all the time. Headaches, viruses, their houses are loaded with sickness. Our bodies are telling us, stop, feed me, sleep, nutrition, Bible, time with God. Your body needs recovery. It needs to be replenished with exercise and right nutrition and time with God. You find yourself potentially where you should be with Christ. You see, we all need finish lines in our lives. And so I told you about my finish line. Think about running a race. If you're running a marathon, along the way, you have these daily places that you stop and get water. You stop and get Gatorade. And so you daily replenish yourself while you're running this race. And you know there's a finish line out there. And so you're running towards the finish line. If you've ever run a long road race and you get to the end, when you get to the end of the finish line, do you go and say, hey, let's go run another marathon? No. You recover at the end of the finish line. Listen to me. We need finish lines daily and weekly in our lives so that we can recover. Sabbath our lives. Our bodies will tell you otherwise if you don't. Your body needs to recover. So how do you do that? I like to work in burst. And the guys in the office would tell you that. I work really hard. And it's like, man, my brain is just functioning. Go, 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 go. And I need to recover. And so maybe I'll come out and I'll walk through the hallway. Ted even said this on, on a set Friday. He says, Jim, I know when you're recovering. It's like, I hear you coming through the office. You're coming through and you pop your head in and say, hey, man, what's going on? He said, no, just put everything down because you're recovering. Or I'll come out and I'll just shoot a hoop. Or I'll walk around the building. Or I'll go outside. And I find recovery mechanisms in my daily routine. 
you need to get your oxygen, get up and moving and get the oxygen flowing. Your blood needs to flow to your brain. You also need regular aerobic exercise in your life. You need to get your heart rate up, then recover. Heart rate up, recover. The worst decision people make is to say that they don't have time to exercise and eat right. When I hear that, I'm just saying, dude, you might not have time. Let me tell you, you don't have proper recovery. Well, I got this to do and that to do. Listen, you need to find an end or a beginning to your day. And if you don't have right recovery mechanisms in place, you won't reach your optimal performance. And the reason you don't have time is because your body is saying, shut down, shut down, shut down, shut down. And you need to put input into that. I like how I feel, and so do you, with regular exercise and regular time with God. The energy level in me goes up. Way too many people have applied the I don't have time principle. Well, you need to make time. I watch it happen over and over and over, and and I've seen it happen recently in a group of men that I'm with, and I watch these guys, and I hear them say these things, and I think, dude, you need the discipline of recovery. And the reason you hate me right now is because you don't have recovery, because you don't have nutrition, because you don't have this very thing that we all should be doing together. I want to be able to outthink anyone in a room. I love to walk in a room and not limit how I think because of the poor choices that I've made spiritually, physically, and emotionally. I want to have the most energy possible to be all in in all situations. I want to operate my life, and you should too, with maximum capacity available. Too much is at stake for me. With the calling of a pastor on my life, I take this seriously. I don't want to fall short on the end, my end. I don't want to fall apart when bad news comes my way. You see, when I am tuned in with God, and when you are tuned in with God, and you have recovery systems, when all hell comes your way, this information that should devastate you, you can respond by saying, praise God, because you're at the best physical and spiritual recovery place that you can be. Smaller problems don't seem insurmountable to me. Otherwise, I say, bring it on. You see, when we do exercise... It regularly replenishes our bodies with hormones. This is fascinating. I want you to think through this for a second. I'll I'll challenge you to think through this. Our body produces hormones. Two hormones that come as a result of regular exercise, aerobic exercise. There's two hormones, catecholamines and cortisol. Catecholamines is produced when you have regular exercise in your life. It's the challenge or fight hormone in you. It's like, well, we can do this. Yes, with God's help. And when something comes our way, instead of retreating, cortisol is the fear or flee mechanism that takes place. It's the hormone that says, this is too hard. I hate the person that gave me this assignment. I don't want to do this. It's cortisol. And so when you don't have exercise or you don't have Sabbath in your life, then it decreases the capacity to face what you're facing. But when you do, catecholamines increase, cortisol decreases. Watch someone who isn't exercising and something comes their way. They get angry, they get short, and they say, it's too hard. 
And then they give you all the reasons why it's too hard. They are negative because the cortisol hormone is in full force. I couldn't, I can't, I won't, and neither should anyone else. There's another side of us that needs to step into place. Proper nutrition helps us to recover. I would say this. I live by an 80-20 principle. I think we need balance. Otherwise, we just become like the Pharisees and we just have this legalistic thing. 80% of the time, I have this proper nutrition in my life. 80% of the time, I'm drinking the right stuff. 80% of the time, but 20% of the time, if there's a piece of peanut butter pie at the Essen house, I'm eating it. But I've left room for that. I don't eat it all the time. So drink water. One person said it this way, anything besides water is polluted water. And so we have these people that just love coffee and they drink it and drink it, drink it. And they wonder why they have these headaches and they wonder why they have anxiety and they wonder why they don't feel good. And they wonder, it's like, because you drink five bottles of Mountain Dew and you had six glasses of Diet Coke and you have iced tea this deep every day. Listen, our bodies need pure water. They need fruits and vegetables. Otherwise, your body will shut down. Let's be honest right now. How many of you know this is true, yet refuse to put patterns of recovery in your life? Isn't what our world does? Our world says, eat, 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 eat. Here's another dessert, another dessert. Eat more, eat more, eat more. Don't you think the enemy has something behind all of that telling you don't have time, you don't have this because he doesn't want you to be replenished. You can make all the excuses in the world. Listen to me. None of them are good unless you have patterns in your life of recovery and Sabbath. God has designed our bodies to work hard and then to recover. It affects all areas of our lives. If you choose not to create recovery systems, sooner or later, everything will come crashing down. Do you realize that studies confirm previously held views that people who give up work or retire after a lifetime twirling can die soon after they retire. You watch it happen. It's like, wow, he lived like three months and she lived three months. And you know why that is? Because they move into sedentary lifestyles. But those that have been physically active before and continue during retirement live much longer because they have put in recovery systems in their lives. Couldn't the stress of working life be deadly in its own way? But research suggests that too little stress might also be a killer. While some retirees live active, healthy lives, peppering their days with tennis message and volunteer work and other language in front of the television, that the everyday routine of getting up, going to work, interacting with colleagues and striving for professional goals can keep people more physically and mentally fit than a quiet all life of retirement. All this to say this. Ask yourself this question. Are you spiritually, physically, emotionally recovering? If not, you'll never be all that Christ wants you to be. And when you stand before him one day, he'll say this. This is how I was going to use you, but you limited how I could use you by your poor health choices by your poor time choices, by your poor spiritual choices, by your poor time with me choices. Sabbath, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Daily, weekly, find a finish to the end, line to the end of your week 
and put recovery systems in place. 